Serpent Temple. This week we're going to be doing a weekly review. We're going to be looking at free albums. The first one is by the Japanese flower traveling band. It is called Satori. The second one is 1914's The Blind Leading the Blind from 2018. And the third is the recent release by Noctule called Wretched Abyss. So, Floyd, I'm really curious as to what you thought of Satori by Flower Travelling Band. So, um, once again, it's good to uh, go back in time, almost uh, 50 years ago. And I think the first thing that kind of struck me was just like, as similar with a lot of the other bands we've covered from this era, is just how fucking ahead of the time, ahead of their time they are. Like, it's crazy how, one, they're really heavy. Super heavy, Like, the guitars are super loud in the mix and, like, you know, and it's funny because every review I read of the band, it's everyone is always mentioned in Sabbath. And like it, it kind of comes to mind when you first hear the vocals. Well, not the first scream, because the first scream scared the, the literal <laughs> shit out of me. Like I was not expecting that. <laughs> but like a lot of the vocal melodies are kind of uh, reminiscent of a lot of the uh, the bigger names during that time. Like, you know, there's hints of Robert Plant, um, Gillen from Deep Purple, and of course, Ozzy. Um, and I think they were quite influenced by Sabbath. I think they covered Black Sabbath from one of the earlier albums. Uh, yeah, the first album was actually with a different lineup apart from two of the members, and oh, that was go. only covers. Okay, album. cool. I'll talk more about that later if you like. So, but um, but you know, irrespective of that, I think that they do. They have kind of carved out their own sound here. Hundred percent. It's always so cool to hear something from an era, like I've said multiple times before in the past, that is largely uh, unexplored to me but just presents something so ahead of its time that really shouldn't exist. (laughs) So this is like, it's a 71 release. The band formed in 67 and they were basically originally like a side project by Yuya Uchida because he went to visit his friend John Lennon in England in the mid 1960s. And Lennon was, he, he introduced him to like Hendrix cream all these 70s guys so you wanted to kind of bring that back to japan so he formed like i think it was just called flower maybe at the beginning i can't remember terrible yeah it was called flowers as a cover band so that first album with the the sabbath and all that it was quite controversial because inside the lp they were all naked and there was a female member of the band they're all just completely front front bottom Back bottom, I'm not sure which nature. Channel in there in a Ash Medi from um, Melakesh. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. It's a nice hot day as well, so it's really a vivid image. <laughs> so yeah, that's the first album. But then basically two of the members moved to the US um, and Uchida, he recruited, he kept the drummer, kicked the bassist, recruited two new two members and then Satori was, was the fruition of that new lineup. Yeah, that's cool. That's an interesting fact. Um, Because, yeah, I remember talking about the whole John Lennon connection before as well. Interesting fact I found out was, um, so they were, I think, struck up a friendship with the Canadian band Lighthouse. Oh, I know about this, yeah. And and do you know who was in Lighthouse for a period? Who? Howard Shaw. No, the composer of I the Lord of the Rings that. and the Hobbit music. That is crazy. So I had no idea he was in a in a rock band and uh, he was there for a few years and would have been in there around about the time they met, I believe. That is so not cool. sure. The but, reason they wrote Satori was because they were going to go on tour with Lighthouse in Canada, so that's why they wrote the album. Ah, yeah, yeah, I remember because they yeah. said they wanted some material to bring to the... Yeah. And I'll tell you what, I mean, for an album that was written just purely... <laughs> just to have something to bring, it's a pretty solid album. I will tell you a cool thing. Um... That really makes this band even cooler for me. And I'm, this is like part of why I love 
sometimes covering albums that I've, I've loved for a while because I, I find out new things. Um, but basically, I think it's... So Shinobi... Not Shinobi. So one of the members who, very helpfully, I didn't copy the name of in, in this... Um, in this excerpt of notes I've, I've done. Let me try and remember who it is. Um, I think, I think it's, sorry, hang on. It's one of the members is called Joe, right? Yeah, yeah it's Joe, Joe Yamanaka, Joe Yamanaka. The vocalist. All right, so this guy, he was born in a brothel, um, in a Japanese brothel, and his father was a US Army sh- soldier of Caribbean descent. I think he, he thinks he might be Cuban. But basically, he never really met his biological father. Um, so he came... He says he comes from a poor family ru- in ruined Yokohama. So he was born, um, like, in this really difficult situation. So he grew up in an orphanage um, after his mother and stepfather died, which is really sad. Um, but then he met one of the members that ended up being part of Flower Traveling Band, and they both became kickboxers. Um, and this is like way before they formed, the, they were part of the band. So they became kickboxers in, in their teenage years. And um, they also both became actors. And his friend is the producer of Satori. And they both became really well-known Japanese actors and were like the tough guys of Japanese cinema. Oh, no way. And they had, um, they actually co-starred in a film that was released in 2001, which is a Japanese Yakuza film. And Satori is the whole soundtrack. Yeah, it's okay, shit. So that's why they've done the soundtrack for that film. Yeah, that's yeah, the reason. I remember reading that it was used as a, okay, yeah. Yeah, so, so um, Joe and the producer, they both star in this film. Um, and yeah, like, it seems like they've got this, like, amazing friendship. And he also, Joe also did a lot of, like, charity work because of his, like, background growing in, up in poverty. He died of, um, of cancer, I believe, and his house burned down, like, the year before, which is really disappointing and sad for that guy so a man who he had a he had had his fair share of uh, hardships he had a very colorful life by the sounds of it um so yeah basically him and his his the friend that became the producer they were in a different band and they were recruited by i think it's uchida if i've i've already probably forgotten the name of the the main guy he recruited them to be part of flower traveling band when he was making that new lineup to do satori yeah that is that's cool it's really fascinating. Yeah. And the name of that film is uh, Deadly Outlaw. It is. For anybody that wants to watch it. Hell yeah. I had, um, do you know the um, actor, I can't remember his, his nickname was Beat Takeshi. So the guy that's, he's like the figurehead of the whole Takeshi's Castle program. Oh yeah. So like he, so he's an actor that also starred in quite a lot of like, um, I think they call it like, they, they call it Z movies in Japan, I think. Could be wrong on that. Okay. But it's like a type of like an action style film. And he was really um, a real prevalent actor during that time. He's also in Battle Royale as the head teacher of the first one. Oh. So, but he's a cool actor. Apparently, uh, um, sorry, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> Takeshi Katano, yeah, that's his name. Sorry, yeah, Shem <laughs> just uh, gave me a very helpful prompt there. Thank you, Trying Shem. to style it out, but I didn't style it out very well. <laughs> but he, um, but I'd done some um, uh, work experience at the ICA Art Gallery, which is on the Strand, and um, and he was coming to visit at the time to do some promotion. That's so cool. So I got two signed uh, VCRs from him. Oh, my God, that's amazing. Yeah, it's quite cool. Do you still have them? No. <laughs> no, they're lost. <laughs> Sorry. That's really funny. I, I was just reading more of my notes. And um, so the, uh, Joe, he, his like ring name was Akira. Um, and he ended up nearly killing a man 
Apparently he got in like loads of fights as a teenager and got into a fight where it was so bad he almost killed someone. The police arrested him and apparently led him to an epiphany where he said violence leads to nothing and then he kind of calmed down by the sounds of it. So, damn. See, it's quite cool because really, like I was doing a bit of research about even the name Satori and it's kind of like meaning, means kind of like enlightenment, right? And, um, you know, it's a real kind of Zen Buddhist principle. So it's interesting that people who are so, you know, you know proficient at something like kickboxing. Yeah. Else. But then, then that's true of a lot of people with martial arts, right? You kind of need to be calm. quite centered and calm to be able to, yeah. you know, use that skill wisely. It's the most important thing in fighting is not to panic and to be calm. And it's also kind of terrifying if you're fighting someone that's calm as well, because it, it looks kind of... If you're on the upper end and you're not calm, it's like, oh my god, they're psychopathic. <laughs> like they have no, they have no emotion. And then, you, like, you're much more effective. You can make decisions much better if you're calm. So, what's your kind of take on the uh, music on this album? You got any particular favorite tracks or? To me, the whole album is like one track. Um, I love the way the album starts with that scream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's it starts with this like naked kind of guitar sound that's like really raw and it's like this evil intimidating riff it's like marching on it's, it does sound kind of sabbathy but it's not it's kind of like there's more space around the riff but not not much else going on and then like the the singer just screams he's just like he's like losing his mind kind of scream that like stretches on for longer than you would expect and then you're like fully immersed like from that point you're like jacked in to the matrix of this album. Um, and it just takes you on this like journey through time and space. It really is that. Um, like each song is just like Satori 1, Satori 2, Satori 3. It keeps going. Um, and they all have kind of different flavors, but generally there's this incredible use of energy, which I always say, I sound like such a woo-woo enlightenment person, but the energy flow is really good. It's always raw, it's always energetic. And I was reading the, the vocalist said that he intentionally drew back, um, didn't write lyrics for this because he wanted it to sound more like improvised and yeah and like free and he felt like i think when they performed it they would improvise a little bit and he wanted it to be as flexible as possible so he didn't want to like tie stuff down by like having set lyrics and stuff like that yeah i reckon that definitely um comes across really vividly in the last track so it's a tory five because mm -hmm. that is like you could that sounds more like an improvisation and even like the vocal work is just you know kind of you know, just wailings and... It's wailings. Ulations. <laughs> um, so, no, it was... Um, I, one thing that took me by surprise is how um, how crystal clear the uh, the rhythm section is here. Mm. Like, you can actually... There's certain parts of the track, I think it might be the second one I've got listed down, where, like, it's just... You can actually hear, like, the resonance of the instruments. Um, just like, wow, it's just so crazy that that could be captured at this particular time as well. And I think it's a real kind of like goes back to the whole argument about, you know, what records sound better, you know, digilog, digilog, <laughs> digital <laughs> analog. <laughs> so I was trying to say Digimon there for a second, which is better than Pokemon, by the way. And I'll, I'll, I'll die on that sword. Digimon is just Pokemon wearing jeans. <laughs> well, they, well, one, they could talk and two, not all of them are named Nina. So but... <laughs> Minamon. <laughs> uh, I'm referring to the anime, by the way. I think the, I like the, the anime. The Digimon anime was far superior to the Pokemon anime. It's less dark, that's for sure. But um, 
note, like I think, um, and the guitars are, like I said before, they're really um, quite high in the mix, but like mm. they, uh, there's some interesting like dual work on there as well. I think it's, um, I remember reading that they're quite influenced by um, a lot of traditional uh, Indian music and it definitely yeah. has, I can hear that sort of flavor in it combined with the more Western sensibilities of the rock bands around that time. And then in, in also, obviously there is a, a distinctly Japanese sound to the music at times as well. So a good eclectic blend of sounds, which I think far belies everything else that was around at that time. Well, maybe it doesn't, because apparently there was all these amazing fucking bands in the 70s <laughs> that I've never heard of before. So I think Satori, I mean, this album is considered one of like the, an iconic, un, like, not that any many people know about it, the people who do, I think, consider this like one of the proto-metal albums of the time. Um, interestingly, you say about Indian music, so Hideki Ishima, the <coughs> guitarist, he's actually a sitar player. He's been playing for 40 years, and he now exclusively plays sitar, and he invented an instrument in 2000 that combines aspects of the sitar with the electric guitar, and Ackerfelt has cited him as an influence. Oh, no, wait, that's cool. And there's a picture of him playing this, like, cool sitar guitar thing, and it's fucking mental. Dan, you check that out. The neck cool. is, like, super wide, um, yeah. and it's, like, obviously the whole thing is made of solid wood. It looks really heavy, but he's it just looks beautiful. It's not like a genty. This is before gent as well. Yeah. This is 2000. So this, this is, is proto-gent. Proto-gent, <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. So it's just really cool that he um, he's, like, grown into this, like, pro-sitar player, and he's got this interest. He studied with um, the student of a really famous Indian teacher, and he spent, like, a day with the Indian teacher and then became a student of his, like, Japanese, um, like, emissary like his japanese student teacher of the master if that makes sense yeah it's like a hierarchy um the album was also recorded in a single day and then mixed in a single day really yeah yeah i mean it's kind of got a bit of a raw vibe about it so i, I can i can see that it's still massively impressive but yeah that's cool and um even the name is is strange i think me and shem were saying well shem was saying before just how it's uh you wouldn't expect a band called flower traveling bands <laughs> yeah. to sound like this you it sounds really so wouldn't. evil yeah yeah um shem messaged me and he just said that the sitar guitar is called a sitala oh there you go it's very cute that's cool i like that and yeah i mean it's it's, it's just like an evil evil sounding album um but also bright and happy and psychedelic it's like dark psychedelia almost yeah yeah it's um and i think you know that i quite liked the um the track four because i felt like that was like a bit more of a we call it an attempt but uh, more of an homage to the rock that was more or the rock music that was more prevalent to that time like that felt a bit more like up tempo and mm. happy dare i say yeah whereas there's certain parts of this album that really are quite uh menacing and and brooding and has a real kind of like foreboding atmosphere. So I think they cover quite a good gamut of sort of dynamics and tones on this album. Definitely. I, I think it's it's really impressive. The vocals also, um, the singer has a three octave range and you can, like his um, his belting on the high notes is really good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, like the range is unbelievable. Like like I was saying, the only, it really reminds me of, of Gillen from Deep Purple at times, especially if you listen to a song like sort of, uh, um, fuck, what's it called? Child in Time. <laughs> it could be like Satori 2. The, the, the classic <laughs> Deep Purple anti-war song, but that's really got like some proper, it reminds me of that, that, that almost like hysterical, like, like the super highway high-pitched. star as well when he's like hitting yeah, those high notes. Yeah, some of the ads. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, just overall, just another another great gem and surprise from this uh, this uh, this decade of 
Hell yeah. Debauchery. I'm going to turn you into a low-key uh, crypto 70s rock fan. I can't. I'll come with a denim jacket, a <laughs> fucking some big fucking aviator glasses. Are they even 70s? I don't even know. That's, I think they're 80s. That's how much I know about the 70s. <laughs> 70s is like flares and those like really long collar tips. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, well, I'm glad you like it. This is this is like again. I always say this is one of my favorite albums, um, and because it, it is, I have a lot of favorite albums. It's bloody good. Check it out if you're interested in hearing what metal was like before metal. I would yeah. say. Yeah, I think that's what like, stuff like that really always piques my interest because I love hearing stuff that influenced the things that I grew up with. It's a piece of history. I mean, it's influenced Opeth. Yeah. This whole album, so I think that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's um, it's funny how it took Opeth a while to kind of embrace their like seventies kind of proggy sort of uh, influences, but um, I, I I think later Opeth is great. I like and, both old yeah. Peth and new Peth. Yeah, new yeah. Peth. New Peth. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a black metal uh, like musician. New Peth. It could be a that could be a potential opening for your black metal band, New Peth. Yeah, it could be. It could be a stage name. I don't know. I might just do a solo project of it yeah. and just write exclusively about um, the Digimon anime series. <laughs> I mean, the fact that Digimon wear jeans implies there's like a Digimon store where you go and browse for Digimon clothing. Which ones wear jeans? Because I can't remember. I'm pretty sure some of them wear jeans. Okay, I'm trying to remember. remember. I mean, it's... <laughs> both look at Shem. Could you Google it? <laughs> Bring that shit up. <laughs> I guarantee you that is the first time that has been searched in the history of Google. Which Digimon <laughs> wear jeans? I saw like a dumb meme the other day, which is why I said this is like a, a picture of a gold duck wearing jeans. It's like on, on the weekends, gold duck like uh, has a second job as a Digimon. <laughs> it's just him, like wearing some jeans. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know why we're talking so much about Digimon today. Yeah, no, that was my fault. No, of course not. But it's, um, you know, and it's like, I'll say something which I've said before when we've reviewed um, albums from this period, and that's, you know, I think there's so much love given to, like, a select few bands from that time. Mm -hmm. Like, and obviously there's some moments on here, like, in the, particularly the fourth track has got a really, like, Zeppelin-esque rhythm section. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like, everyone knows Sabbath, Zeppelin, and a lot of the, and a lot of the other sort of fucking really prominent bands of that time. So it's... It just shows once again that, you know, like had the internet been around in its fully fledged form at this time, do you reckon maybe some of these bands might have been more well known than they are? I mean, I, you mentioned this band's like a cult band, so obviously a lot of people know of them, right? But like the fact that they're not a common name band. I think if they were in America, they would have been a lot more popular and they didn't get the opportunity to do that much more music after this. Yeah. So I think that's part of it. If they had like an oeuvre of work, is that how I say oeuvre? Oeuvre <laughs> of work. Um, then like perhaps they would have been a lot bigger. I think sometimes it's really a toss of the dice. It's like the PR you had, the manager you had, the label you were on. And I think J Japanese music wasn't like... Um, something that was on the world market in the yeah. same way back then. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Because to be honest, I mean, kind of the UK and the uh, US scene kind of just dominated the charts and most Western music scenes for the longest period of time. Yeah, I don't know how, maybe it's like a, maybe a post-war thing. I don't know if I'm just making that shit up, but maybe people wouldn't have been as receptive. Um, to music from that part of the world in the same way because there's a lot of like horrendous racism towards Japanese people for a really long time in the US. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
and obviously listed is, but it was like particularly bad in the 20th century. So perhaps that was maybe part of it. Um, I will also say though, um, Yoko Ono actually introduced um, her son, Sean Lennon, to Satori, who covered it um, in their 2017 EP, Lime and Limpid Green. So Sean Lennon and Les Claypool covered Satori part one. Yeah. And I was still so shocked that they had a thing together. I had no idea Sean Lennon and Les Claypool, when I pronounced his name right that time, <laughs> um, had, a, had a project together. It's very strange. It's weird that, um, was it Uchi, Uchida? I mean, I, I, should, I should really take the time to actually say the names of the, of the musicians properly. Um, great. I need to really get better at making notes. Jesus Christ, Nina Saidi. Yuya Uchida. Um, he, the fact he was friends with John Lennon. I'm so curious as to how you make friends with John Lennon in the 70s if you're in Japan. Well, um, just don't be his wife. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, might want might want to might want to cut that part. <laughs> no, I think I think that's a ten out of ten. <laughs> I think uh, that's a very good. Point. Uh, that's common knowledge. Everyone knows that. Everyone yeah, knows he yeah. should yeah. definitely be called out about that shit. Yeah. yeah uh, plus, him. he's dead anyway. So you know what I mean. So <laughs> he's not. He's not, he's not you can't fight back. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, anyway yeah i mean satori the flower traveling band go check them out even if you're not into metal you'll like them if you're into metal you probably will like them yeah i, I can't see how anybody who's into classic metal wouldn't be into this band and yeah. uh and the album ends with like a, a nice gong hit which i thought was kind of cool <laughs> everyone so, loves like a gong yeah. <laughs> yeah i've met so many bands that get really excited when they get a gong it's like yeah. the pinnacle of a, of a band being complete is when you've got the gong yeah it's uh, i remember i had to go pick up a gun a gun <laughs> 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 wow <laughs> had to pick yes. up a gong for <laughs> try to say gong for my mum i say gung for my mom but um <laughs> And it was fucking massive, and um, and I didn't drive, so I had to oh, carry no, it back. So it was, um, but it's cool. She was just obsessed. She was absolutely adamant. She wanted a gong because um, this it just sounds so fucking epic. I know and, two bands that have got gongs, and each time um, they had to like haul ass to get the gong onto stage, and like they had to like get trains into London oh. with their gongs, and they're like really big gongs. And this is two separate bands. Each time they. Did their set? I was there. Officer, like, did you hear the gong? And I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't hear the gong. <laughs> you, can't, you cannot hear the gong. Oh, it was no. at the Dev. One of the shows was at the Dev, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, there's no way we're, I'm going to hear that gong. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, bless them. So I think maybe that's something you should say for when you're playing like a bigger stage with a better sound setup. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Plus, I mean, was there even any room for the band <laughs> with the gong being there? You've got to get like a special stand for it. Yeah. And it's got to be in a particular place near the drummer. It's like, and also, the, depending on where you are, like when we played a show once where for all three, us and two other bands had to have all our, our gear on the stage at the same time. Yeah. And because we were the opener, all the gear, there was like three bands worth of gear. Like every, between sets, you take one set off. So the headliner only had one set of gear. So there were three drum kits on stage. Yeah. Which meant that the moment you played anything, all, everything started resonating. Yeah. Like, the, all the cymbals resonated, the fucking kick drums resonated. So, like, you couldn't hear anything because everyone was just going... The whole time. Yeah. It was intense. You should do ASMR of, like, drum sounds. Jazz ASMR. I was thinking I've got some... Sorry, this is going to be relevant, I promise. I've got some... Um, holes with me, you know the cough sweets. Of course, because hay fever. You love anyone, cough sweets. Anyone in London at the moment or the south east of England, 
at this moment in time who have hay fever again absolutely fucking punished at the moment yes, the are. pollen count is ridiculously high at the moment and um i was gonna pop one in um <laughs> <laughs> they sound like it's drugs or something yeah. it sounds like a pessary or something yeah. <laughs> So to my mouth I was going to pop one in to my mouth um, just before we started and I remembered the, one of the golden rules of I think podcasting oh yeah is don't have anything okay this could sound weird because I don't have anything in your mouth during recording but don't because no one wants to hear someone sloshing some shit around their mouth Sloshing. Sloshing <laughs> is the word of the day. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, we just heard, like, um, like mouse-smacking sounds throughout the whole Oh, it's the worst. <laughs> it's, and that is, in my opinion, one of the worst sounds on the planet, with nails on the chalkboard, forks on the plate, snakes on the plane. Sorry, I'm going to that. Forks on the plate and fucking mouth-smacking and lip-smacking. It, it drives me up the wall. I have to leave the room. So I almost... Comp- ugh, almost... <laughs> I can't even talk anymore. I'm so so wound up at the thought of sounds that annoy me. But yeah, I almost uh, committed my own cardinal sin. You almost sloshed your way for the whole podcast. Yes. Yes, slosh. Shall we go on to 1914, The Blind Leading the Blind, out in 2018? You go. You go first. Right, so this is a band I've been following since their first album, The Eschatology of War. Uh, they are from Lviv, Ukraine. I believe that is the way it's pronounced, as Google um, instructed me. And uh, the I'm not going to read out the full titles of the band members because of what they've done on their uh, Metallum, which is quite cool and in keeping with the uh, uh, the gimmick of the band. I mean, gimmick in the wrestling sense, not in the derogatory sense. Um, is they've got like their regiment name and the division that they serve, so it's kind of like a uh, you know a bit of a bit of theater there. Should I give an example for the? Go for it, yeah. I, I, I actually love that they've done this. So it's really cool. On Metal Archives, um, for example, the guitarist is listed as Fifth Division Ulanan Regiment Number no. Three Sergeanton Vitalis Winklehock. And there's literally like way more members with names like that yeah and basically there's no way i was ever going to say that without fucking up 50 percent of those words <laughs> so i've just taken the the names which i presume are also fictional names or the stage names of the bands you've got armin von heinessen on bass mm. liam fessen on guitars dittmar kummerberg on vocals and Rusty Potoplakt on drums. That's an amazing name. It sounds <laughs> yeah. like a kind of bacteria. Yeah, it does, it does. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, just talking a little bit about the, I think, the progression from the first album to this one. It's a, it's a far more mature album in terms of the, uh, the songwriting and the atmosphere. Like, it's, it's definitely a continuation of the sound that was present on Eschatology of War. But I think just a much more refined sense of maturity and there was there was actually one track on the first album before we start talking about this album called battlefield which was um has is one of the most claustrophobic doomy deathy songs i've ever heard that's so cool and it's got a real and i think that's like a a theme on this album as well they do such a good job of conveying the futility oh my god of war and you know and and you know they're like I, i in my opinion they're the antithesis to sabaton Oh my god! I was actually thinking they're like what Sabaton wished they could be like. Yeah, I mean yeah. Sabaton make war sound like a Disney film. Uh, These guys make war sound like actually war. war. Yeah, 
And um, but yes, yeah, so it's a real continuation from the first album. Um, except it just flows much better than the first album. The production is far better as well. Yes, uh, produced by um, Olgerd from uh, Kroda, another Ukrainian band. And um, yeah, there's also guest vocals from Dave Ingram of Benediction. Oh no way! Which I think, from what I can tell, was the track "Passion Hell." Because there was a bit of it that sounded a bit kind of boat thrower-esque. And yeah. Dave Ingram, Barney Greenway, and Carl Willits have all got that similar kind of The exploited uh, cover kind yow. of reminded me of, of that. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> I, I got excited because I, like, I knew something about the music. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> but I like the exploited cover because normally I don't really like punk very much. But. Yeah, well, the, the cool thing, I'll speak a little bit about the exploited. The cool thing about them is, but one of the, one of the few kind of like high-profile Scottish bands anyway, Obviously, my mum and dad didn't are Scottish. know they were Scottish. They are so they're from sorry. Edinburgh, Scotland, okay. and uh, they are one of the bands, punk bands anyway, most known for really incorporating more of a thrashy, hybrid sort of sound. So the Exploited have, in in a similar way that the Flower Traveling band is, you know, a proto metal band, much in the same way the Exploited can be described in some ways as a proto extreme metal band because they've got, there's a lot of elements of their sound that are quite crusty that would influence you know, a lot of grindcore bands and the hardcore bands. Yeah, yeah. it's super, super fast. Like if you listen to the original Beat the Bastards song, I'm not... it's it's faster than this version. So Damn. So 1914 have basically taken it and just added their kind of like doomy death metal stamp. I assume that they'd done that. Yeah. onto it but it's a still relatively faithful cover but like the original version is as energetic and well I'm not as energetic as, well, uh, as frenetic nice so that is really cool but yes yeah, so um, I love this album it's um, it was recommended by my friend uh, Aaron shout out to Aaron recommended it on YouTube and um, I've been a fan of this band for quite a while and um, annoyingly they were scheduled to perform live I think March this year before obviously everything happened again so hopefully they get around to tour in London again at some point in we'll the... definitely go though more than anyone who's watching from 1914 come on the podcast we'll do your cards for you we'd love to hang out that'd be great yeah. So um, there's a lot I can say about the music. So I think what I'll do for the time being is I'd be quite intrigued to get your take on what you personally thought of this album. I um, So I have my own kind of personal connection to 1914 in a way. Um, so very, very wonderfully, Dimitro from 1914 actually ended up liking our band, Loan, Um which is really surprising because I wasn't expecting a band as like high profile as this and also badass as this to like our music. And I was like, maybe I'll check out this band because I have usually when I see a band with a year in the name, I'm like, oh, I'm not sure if this is going to be what's going to happen. And if it's about war, I'm usually like, that's also probably going to end in me being disappointed about like the political views of the band. However, 1914, really fucking cool. Like they're in no way fash, quite the opposite. Um, as you say, they're not glorifying war, which is like the first no-no for me, um, if people are glorifying it, that is. So I really like that. I do feel, I feel like um, they're very close to the subject matter and um, I have a lot of thoughts really. The, politically, I like it, which helps me actually listen to the music properly, if that makes sense, because normally... I would probably distance myself from like really enjoying music like this, if that makes sense. So I'd just be like, oh no, what if they're like, what if they hate brown people, you know? Mm. Um, but they don't. And they're kind of 
showing, as you say, the futility of war, which is something that I really think a lot more is a lot more metal, is a lot darker, is a lot truer than a lot of representations like the Sabaton representation. Um, this is kind of like like a darker bolt thrower in a way for me. And the drums kind of remind me of bolt thrower at times. And I really love how they've produced the kick drum because sometimes it actually sounds like airplane propellers or, and then other times it sounds like gunfire. Yeah, And they've got 100%. like different tones on like different parts of the drums that are really crisp and also like really beautifully, like you can hear the differentiation between every stroke, which in music, this heavy and like thick is really impressive. And it holds together like these marching, horrifyingly intimidating guitars as they like trudge towards you. And you literally do feel like it's a battlefield. And it's like, somehow it's like not samey all the way through it's like there's a lot of differentiation there's a lot of tempo changes a lot of really like good use of the double kick which is some bands will just like just do it the whole time and it gets really boring and you stop hearing it but like they bring it in and out really well and the same with the samples as well i think they make really good use of samples because normally i find them really boring but they're really they like properly add to the atmosphere of horror and like bodies being torn apart and then the different explorations of like the psychologies of war like you've got um what is it was it um stostrup i think or stostrup i can't i can't pronounce it i'm so sorry where it's like the shock troops you were saying and yep. i think i think it's that song where they're talking about how like i'm not an evil man but i love to kill it's such a like brutal lyric yeah to me and they're talking about like they want to get more skulls and kill more people and then my favorite was hanging on the old barbed wire um because it's like a top-down exploration of corruption in the army until yeah, you get yeah. to until you get to the sergeant. Like the first the first verse is if you want to find the general, I know where he is. He's pinning another medal on his chest. I saw him, I saw him pinning another medal on his chest. And it goes down to like um like the corporal and he's like getting drunk on company rum. And then it goes all the way down to if you want to find the private, I know where he is. He's hanging on the old barbed wire. I saw him, I saw him hanging on the old barbed wire. Well, I mean, if there is, is there a, if well, oh, wow, I'm about that going. <laughs> God damn! <laughs> I don't think there is a more perfect kind of description of what is the most fucked up aspect of war than that. Yeah. Is it? It's all about sending young people to their death while the rich are protected. And like, usually, what sometimes people don't even know what they're fighting for. In in um, the the Mers are gone. I really like that one because literally it's kind of a lot of it is like first person perspective, but also very introspective as if like your like your granddad's got drunk at the table after dinner and starts talking about war stories, which is something that would happen in my house. Like I had I had um, family members who were like guerrilla fighters in Kurdistan. And then like when they'd start drinking, sorry, they would start telling the most insane stories. And it was kind of similar, like, yeah. um, you know, stories. There was there was one where my family member was like walking in the mountains and like you'd walk for days. Yeah, <laughs> a loud siren. <laughs> Uh-oh, they heard me. Um, you'd, you'd, you'd be walking for days like trying to hide from, from the army basically. Um, and because he hadn't slept in three days, he fell asleep while he was walking and he woke up in a puddle of water and he'd lost all the other people that he was walking with. Um, so he, he was lost alone in the mountains. There were enemy fighters like anywhere around the corner and he's like wandering in the wilderness in Kurdistan um trying to find his people and he found them after a few days but Damn. like some of the stuff 
was like really dark and really interesting and I'd be like a kid and I'd just be like what the fuck you know um so it reminds me of that and this one is like um this is it feels like someone he's basically saying what are we fighting for don't mess with the war which I really like yeah. you know it's like no one really knows what they're fighting for what you're fighting for isn't even like freedom it's just politics it's just resources it's nothing no one cares about the people who are actually in danger in no. war it feels i think those are the last lyrics on the track as well right that's yeah. The, yeah yeah it's yeah do you know i think you hit a lot of the nails on the head there and um and it's very well said and i think the thing i really like about 1914 is that everything is so well placed and there's no wasted motion from the samples to, like you said, the drums. And it's like when you're reading the lyrics along to the music, and I think this is something a lot of bands don't do or think about too much, but the music is reflecting what the lyrics are currently yeah, talking about. Yeah, so like, way around. So there's like a track. Um, it is, I'm just scrolling because I have made a shit ton of notes. <laughs> it's Simon Dernier Pigeon. It's my last pigeon. Yeah, and which is a reference to the uh, the home and pigeons that we used to uh, send messages. And it blows my mind that pigeons are so good at doing that. Uh, yeah, my my nan's um, neighbour had a lot of pigeons, and and they were like, um, I think they probably were the similar breed that would be the home and pigeons. That's so cool. They're just mad smart, and they're just great at finding shit. But it was um, yeah. So there's in that track. Let's make sure this is the right track. Yeah, it is. So basically, there's, you know, because this band, they do such a good job of melding uh, different subgenres of extreme metal. You know, it's very doomy and kind of emotive guitar leads at parts. And then there's a fair amount of black metal and death metal in there as well. And, you know, this track here, there's a doomy passage where they're talking about kind of, you know, gearing up for the last attack and kind of recovering their strength. And then Basically, the last paragraph is basically about loading a cannon and shooting it, and it splatters blood all over the walls. And that's when the music transitions into the furious double bass work and just the absolutely frenetic, like sort of extreme metal riffing. And that's what I mean about like everything's so well placed. They've obviously thought about how the music is reflective of the lyrics, and and the lyrics are delivered in a way like I really like his style. Oh, this, um, the vocals are so good. Like so yeah. vitriolic, vitriolic and snarled, and like there's a lot of like it sounds like there's a lot of dual layering effects going on, similar to what Glenn Benton from Deicide does, where he kind of misses. It's really wide. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's combined with mixing the highs and the lows mm. with the mids, with the mid like sort of pitch screaming being more prominent because it creates that kind of full sound but he's done it to really good effect and um and it's got like an element like obviously the lyrics are done like so from a first person perspective and it's and it does come across like a narration a lot of the time and i think the vocals serve a really good purpose and it's such a cool component of the music because mm. it's just able to kind of portray that message in a way and that's because the the vocals are decipherable as well you can you can hear what he's saying which is quite important if you are wanting to put a message across because, you know, most death metal vocals and, and even black metal vocals are pretty much more or less impossible to to hear any enunciation whatsoever. So mm. I think, you know, it, it really lends to the band's overall sound and atmosphere yeah. that they're done in the style that they're done. It's a really good performance, not only because, like, the enunciation's really good, but, like, the emotion is there too, which is oh, quite rare. I feel in this kind of um, vocal delivery. It reminds me of Carl's 
bolt thrower like style of like spitting out like snarling yeah but it, the mixing is like i kind of want to hear bolt thrower mix this way if that makes sense because i think it would sound incredible um because like the vocals really do sound demonic but not demonic because they're inhuman but de- demonic because they're so human because it it like it's a part of war which people try to ignore like you know the people enjoying killing people getting torn apart um and like the futility and emptiness of the whole act which is like it's just silly that we do it you know and he's he's like exploring that through the lens of human evil which is really and and human misery and destruction too which is really interesting yeah there's um you're 100% right. Um, there's just a great vocal passage that I really thought, and this goes back to what I was saying about No Wasted Motion, where mm. um, there's a line in Passion Hell, which is uh, the name is uh, kind of like a, a pun of the uh, the Battle of Passchendaele, which was got written down somewhere. <laughs> I don't know, I'll get into that a bit later. But no, there's a lyric where... Um, Basically, it's because um, most of the vocals uh, are like kind of your typical, there's a lot of distortion being used, but there's like this absolutely frenzied scream. And it is, we shall move out of our holes like worms in the earth. Oh. But it's like screamed over and over again. But it's, it's as if it's screamed as if someone that is actually caught up in, in a battle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like really present a lot of the time. And then sometimes it's suddenly really introspective and psychological. Yeah. Yeah, it's so like disturbing but, but and, effective. And you know, and um, talking of the, uh, the the lyrical sort of uh, subject matter, they're, they're covering a lot of uh, historical events. So obviously, the first track, "Arrival," the Moose Are Gone, is uh, was one of the battles in the uh, One Hundred Day Offensive. Which is also the last track, no? That was the first track. The and, last track is called. The oh yeah, Hundred sorry, Days yeah, my offensive. bad. Yeah, last track is called the Hundred Day Offensive. Um, and uh, this particular offensive was the second deadliest U.S. battle in history, mm. and uh, and that was put down due to the uh, the inexperience of a lot of troops, which is quite prevalent in most Oof. armed forces yeah. around that time. And also, Spanish flu was rife at the time. Oh my God! So it's like having a war during COVID. Yeah, so it was they they had to deal with that on top of um, everything else that was going Damn. on. I thought Spanish flu was like 1921 or 1919, but I guess it might have been before that too. I think it started round about. 1917 to 19 because i know my nan was alive towards the end of it oh damn yeah so but um yeah definitely late definitely mid late tens to the 20s i think was around about time i'm not sure don't quote me on that (laughs) yeah and then you got the track sort of a7 theme mephisto which is basically uh talking about a tank and um, apparently the only one ever recovered is now situated at the uh, Queensland Museum in Brisbane. No way. There's a lot of references to Australian troops, I think. In, was it that one or one of the other songs? Yeah, because as, as far as I'm aware, because um, I've never been much of a historian, you know, especially about the World War I. I'm not very good at the World Wars. No. It's like when... Um, yeah, I felt like it was all we ever really learned about in school. And oh my god, it was mostly World War Two. We only really learned about World War One to talk about World War Two for the next five years. Yeah, and it's like, and the thing is, like everything in school, 
if it was taught in school, then I would automatically be inclined not to give a shit about it. Yeah, I know what you mean. Because it's just so bad at teaching shit. <laughs> they would teach you, like, such propagandized history. They yeah. still do. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, they don't talk about, like, the Indian troops in the world wars. They don't talk about, like, half of the shit that actually happened. It's always just like, England did this. Churchill was incredible and amazing. And we should all suck his dick because he's fantastic. I mean, that's basically what we learned at school. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And then I remember covering getting up to the Vietnam War and they were trying to say that, oh, you know, there was a legitimate threat of communism coming and you know, the whole domino effect then. I'm just like, yeah. no. I'm sure all those rice field workers were, like, really threatening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and they still fucking destroyed the US, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so fucking glad that they did. But at the same time, I'm sad that so many people had to die. But one of my favourite tracks on the album is High Woods, 75 Acres of Hell. yeah which is a cool track, um, that is detailing uh, the 75 Acres of Hell, which was a area, which was, was in an area called High Wood, which was a section of the Battle of the Somme, which I think still to this day is the most casualties ever recorded in a single battle, oh. I think. So I remember going back almost 20-odd years when I was doing GCSE history. I think Shem just giggled because you said High Wood. <laughs> oh, it was something else. Was, okay, I'm, I'm glad it wasn't that. <laughs> the timing was there. But um, the so basically, that's talking about uh, it's, it's a battle where um, there was a, a, a legit 75 acres, which were referred to as like one of the worst places in the world and one of the wow. most because there was just so much bodies killed there. And uh, I think the British eventually overwhelmed the Germans near that area, but the commander was relieved of duty due to the wanton waste of men and that particular battle or offensive which is rich considering that every war is a wanton waste of men so but there you go but no yeah the track itself is um there's a, there's parts of it it's one of the first tracks on the album um that has uh, a good combination of um different flavors of atmosphere because a lot of the album is generally quite depressing <laughs> it's very depressing and claustrophobic yeah. i feel like it, it does such a good job of conveying that claustrophobic feeling of you know mm. of war not like i've ever been in the war but um <laughs> but this is the first track on the album that i think uh, adds in a slight feeling of something akin to sounding triumphant or a bit more anthemic and not in the way that sabaton does but in a way that's kind of still tinged with an element of sadness and the fact that you know that there's such a, a grand loss of life happening same with the last track 100 um the 100 day offensive i think that that track also it starts with like a beautiful like acoustic section mm. it's one of the longer tracks on the album i think it's just over 10 minutes long but that's got um like it's a bit more of a slower pace and it's got more of that kind of like more sort of beautiful melodies and guitar work. I mean, the whole album, I think, is beautiful, but, like, it's more classically beautiful as opposed to some of the oppressive and overly somber melodies of most of the tracks on this album. I really like that this album is actually respectful whilst also criticising, like, the horrors of war. Like, there's no... I think a lot of people take it personally when someone's like, war is bad. They're like, oh, but my brother, my, my son, my father was a veteran. Whereas these... this this whole album is kind of like a tribute to those who have been victims of, of like the dogma and propaganda and the horrors of like the bureaucratic grinding wheel that smashes those who are like, you know, working class, lower class, the people at the bottom of the, of the rungs. The military is essentially like this weird kind of fucking class 
thing. Yeah. Like if you're if you're important, um, fucking you know not actually, but if you're deemed important, you you don't have to fight. You're just given a title and you get a salary and then you you choose who goes to die. Yeah. Which is I feel it's like kind of the same still now. Um, but yeah, you know, there's like there's an element of respect and an element of of um of kind of like really actually looking at what happened. Yeah. I remember reading um a kind of like an essay, I guess, about how a lot of people who are who venerate war, who are like really into like glorifying the troops a lot of the time if your family member or if people you know have died in war you're more likely to compensate for the pain for like the futility of the loss and the fact that they died for nothing by just like really going into the whole like of course they died protecting the country like we have to we have to look after our troops and it's like well the troops aren't looked after they come home and then they're forgotten about and they died for nothing and it's like it's painful to think about how a fam- your family members were ripped away from you for, like, the games of some rich men who didn't have to lift a finger the whole time. And, yeah, they died for nothing. Yeah, I think literally what I was going to say next, I think it's just such a defence mechanism for so many people because it's yeah. just too much to bear thinking that they literally did it for nothing and they were sent to die. And then if, you know, if you defected, you were branded a coward and executed. Yeah. It's disgusting. There's- and I think, you know, that's summed up perfectly by the lyrics on one of the, in the last track, the 100-day offensive. There's a bit where he says, uh, keep your head down, forget about honour, mm. forget about pride and crawl in the mud, which is what probably a lot of them did. You know, like yeah. when you're out there on war and shit hits the fan, then that's, of course, what you're going to do. That's the human response. You're not going to be, I mean, you, you might be that, well, dare I say the word brainwashed into believing that you're doing it for such a noble cause and you actually are fighting for your country. But like most people will just completely crumble and be completely overwhelmed by the horrific nature of the situation. It's it's interesting because I listened to this almost immediately after finishing the Wheel of Time series. And the last book is a thousand pages long and is about a single battle. So it's like a thousand pages of war. Um, it's called A Memory of Light. It's actually really good. And I believe Robert Jordan is a Vietnam vet. And you can tell from the descriptions of the battles, like there's a lot of like exploding ground soil, people's limbs being burnt, blown off, like really horrific fucking, like um, like basically during the book, they invent, um, they, in, like, they start to invent guns, they start to invent cannons, they start to invent trains, but it's also like in a fantasy realm where people can like do magic and make stuff blow up but then basically men men are able to do magic in a particular way again they're trained to do it and they start blowing up people's heads on the battlefield oh, on mass yeah. <laughs> and there's like a battle where like they just massacre thousands and thousands of people who've never encountered like this kind of magic before and their heads are just popping and there's blood Damn. fucking showering everyone you're like knee deep in blood and then like the ground is exploding and like <laughs> people's limbs are flying in the air and it's like this is a fantasy novel I had no idea we had time was that fucking brutal Jesus Christ. This book is like a thousand (laughs) pages of like battle tactics and like people maneuvering, of like maps changing, like people's brains being invaded by like evil magic people. I I don't want to put spoilers in it. It's actually amazing, but at the same time, it reminds me of this because you can see the part of Robert Jordan that's like war, heroism, amazing, glory, magic. And then the other parts that's like so and so's head just exploded. And yeah. then, like, you know, so-and-so's covered in blood. So-and-so doesn't have arms anymore. Like, 
and and there's kind of like parallels to like nuclear like you know there's there's a thing called balefire which is like banned if you if you cast balefire you are destroying the very threads of reality and it's literally reality is made of actual threads um and if you if you keep doing it re- the whole of reality will unravel and fall apart like everyone gets fucked over that's like nuclear power right but the yeah. bad guys do use it and then oh, okay. sometimes the good yeah. guys have to use it and you're like mm. Yeah. You can see the parallels between 20th century history in this like fantasy, whereas this is like having finished that book and having kind of having like the shell shock of reading it <laughs> yeah. and then going into yeah. this, I was like, oh. <laughs> it's, <intense. laughs> it's really good. It's like it, it kind of it's really interesting to look at them both in parallel because they're both um, like narratives of war and they're both like explorations of the human reaction to war. And this is literal. And I just came from reading like a figurative version of that yeah but like a 15,000 pe- like page figurative version of that if like you're thinking of the whole series to this like 50 minute brutality that I experienced afterwards it's really cool see I always thought Wheel of Time was just so much more lighthearted, and only oh, because no. only because <laughs> Blind Guardian done a song about it also called Wheel of Time and I'm thinking well Blind Guardian are covering it it's probably you know I mean they 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 they're, they're, they're quite I wouldn't call them Disney metal, which is the derogatory term mm-hmm. saved for power metal, metal bands, but yeah. they are quite lighthearted a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't, I would not have expected Wheel of Time to be as brutal as that. There is some dark as fuck shit. There's also yeah. some like cool lighthearted shit. It starts off like really nice, like la 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 in a country town, and then suddenly everyone's like, slowly you're like, whoa, everyone's fucked. Everyone's yeah. gonna die. Like everyone's losing. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah it's cool. Yeah, I'll jump on it at some point. It's a it's a, a labor of love to read the whole thing, but once you're into it, you you won't want to stop. No, yeah, it's but yeah. Going back to um, 1914, I just want to say because obviously, like these guys, are nowhere near old enough to be in the war. They might have had some relatives <laughs> that were there. Yeah, but um, you know, I think I'm just impressed with how authentically they've managed to present it. Well, yeah. it appears authentic anyway because I myself was not old enough to be in the First World War. <laughs> um, if you could believe that. <laughs> I can believe it. <laughs> so, like, you know, I think they've done a better job than... Because, you know, I mean, like, war is such a common theme in metal, right? You've got bands like Hail Bullets, uh, Asphyx, Boat Thrower, uh, Sodom, Sodom, I don't fucking pronounce it. Um, I say Sodom. Um, and, like, it's a common theme, right? But you can tell that... But those bands, and obviously Sabaton as well, they're, <laughs> not, they're not glorifying it per se... But they're kind of treating it in a way where it's just some subject matter that sounds cool. I feel like they just wanted to pick something to write about. Some, yeah, not it, bolt thrower, it's a bit different. But like a lot of them, I'm just like, well, why'd you choose this? Yeah. What's your connect? Is it is it because your granddad fought in it? Okay, but like, yeah, I know what you mean. Like, it's, it doesn't feel as sincere. No, but this sounds like war. That's yeah. basically what I'm getting at. Like, this sounds like what they're writing about. Whereas every other group, I mean, um, Hail Bullets have got some songs as well that because they're, they're quite a good mm-hmm. uh, um, yeah. at, um, infusing that element of doom into their death metal sound as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think there's a sincerity here that I think is just something I haven't really heard before. And even in their previous album, I don't think it came through as much in their in 1914's first album. But I think they kind of really managed to like fucking catch the lightning in the bottle with this one. 
for real. And I, I, the social media is also really good. Um, they will post about like stuff to do with history. I was like browsing through it and I actually learned a bunch of stuff because, you know, I'm sure you can relate in my experience at school learning about war, like it was infuriating and disrespectful and full of lies. So I just kind of, I have really negative feelings towards like World War II in particular. World War I was just depressing as fuck because like, like trench warfare, people just got completely massacred fighting yeah. those wars um, and, you know, kids being conscripted and stuff. It's just usually learning about war makes me really sad. Um, but this is, I think this is good. I think this is an antidote to those people who maybe, I don't know if you had this, but in this country I feel like there's like a really heavy drive to recruit young people to the army. Because I think once, you, once you're once you past a certain age, you're like, I'm not fucking doing that. Yeah. yeah. I think there's a really heavy manipulation to, yeah. to, to, to try and acquire a certain demographic of person yeah. who'd be more susceptible to joining the army. And because they want those people to think that that's their only alternative now. When I was at school, they would come every year and do like... You, everyone would have a school trip. You'd go on this like fun obstacle course and they'd talk to you about insurance and like health insurance and how you're protecting your country. And I was never allowed to go. I was the only kid in my whole year who was not allowed and I would get bullied for it. Even my teachers would look down on me. They were like, oh, they're foreign. They don't really, they don't care about this country. It was kind of what I would hear. Um, but I'm really glad I didn't go because it was, they were being brainwashed. These kids would come back with like camo everything, these goodie bags with like an army pen, woo. And then like some of them would just join the army because they got some free shit and went on a cool yeah. obstacle course. But, you know, I could tell, I, I, like, I for one can see why people get, you know, for want to join because it's, yeah. you know, it's a, if you've grown up in an area where, which, where there isn't really a sense of community and you've lived a hard life and someone's promising that to you, yeah. then it's going to seem alluring, right? If someone's Absolutely. just like, you know, this is like a brotherhood. and It's somewhere to, to have a structure, a family, a yeah. safety, ironically, kind of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I've said, I think I said it once before. I can't remember when, but at some point in this podcast, but I just like, I'm so, and like, even with the whole, and I, this is controversial, but fuck it. Like, like I'll never wear a fucking poppy. Yeah, and I don't like, wear them. And it's like, you know what I mean? Like, because I feel like it's kind of been hijacked a bit by like the more recent wars, particularly the Iraq war. And I'm just like, don't wrong. Like, my granddad hated the fact that he was sent to war and he didn't want his fucking medals. Right. And then and on the other side of my family, you know, there was a grandparent that never returned from the war and fucking. And so the mum had to raise the rest of the kids. So it's like. And the people who came back, like they're not they're not helped. No, it's just, you know, you you give some money to the people sending the poppies. That money probably disappears into the pockets of some like rich ass army people who spend it recruiting more young people to send to wars to kill. And then like. You know, we don't, no one talks about the people that were shot for being defectors or supposed cowards because they were having PTSD and shell shock, like yeah. gen genuine psychological problems. No one talks about the abuse that people experience in the army. No one talks about the racist and sexist abuse that people experience in the army. You know, it's just, oh, if you don't wear a poppy, you're disrespecting. I mean, it's, surely you're disrespecting your country and your troops for not actually, like, tackling the horrors of war and, you know, ending war or looking after veterans, you know? Yeah. And it's, no, 100%, 100%. And it's, uh, it's like I said, you know, it's just I do honestly think for most people it's a defense mechanism because I reckon it's too much to bear for them to think that it was for nothing. Yeah. And, I can understand that. I really can. And, and I can. And, you know, and, like, you know, and obviously I, I feel sorrow more than anything for the people that were sent yeah. out there. And, you know, and, I'm, and I don't think that... Um, you know, obviously none of them deserve to die. 
but and there's an element of respect towards them in the sense that you know that they were drafted into something that was part of this massive fucking world scheme just to reboost the economy because be honest that's what it was all about it was just like cu- countries wanted to make money again and war is the best way to do it yeah um i mean it, just going to war the simple act is a very very um it brings a lot of money for countries like you know the u.s the majority of army stuff is made through prison label label prison labor prison label prison labor um <laughs> you know the same same here i mean like a lot of that stuff is bought manufactured and sold and you know the the conflicts in the Middle East, like those weapons come from here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's just, you know, be, at the end of the day, you know, I'm not a fucking, like I've never been that knowledgeable or well-versed in um, in, in history, specifically wartime history. But um, that's, I think that's why I'm glad an album like this exists because I yeah. do feel like it's portraying a more, even though I myself am not too knowledgeable, I can tell that this is a more accurate portrayal. Yeah. the shit that was happening you know you can feel the truth in it yeah i think um i don't know if this is even relevant but the most harrowing upsetting thing i ever read about war was a contemporary um biography i read for someone who's alive today who had to fight in the iraq war and he he was conscripted um which in iran is like it's still compulsory with his best friend and like within minutes of being on the battlefield he saw his best friend's skull get crushed by tank tracks and he saw his best friend's brain just get you know he just saw his brain get smeared across the tracks and the field and he just stared at his his lifelong childhood friend just that's fucked that's it yeah it's so upsetting like and yeah so like (laughs) with that in mind and then seeing the like kind of such it feels so like forced and fake the celebrations we have here for like only only one of our wars really only like the world wars essentially we don't talk about the other wars that we've done that we shouldn't have done no exactly and we had no right to be there no absolutely not and um no and put this way like what you're talking about there is is is, do you think the higher-ups in the army have lost any sleep over that guy that had his brain smeared no No they didn't fuck no no give a shit but such (laughs) is life this was a good album. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, 1914, for shedding truth and light and darkness on the uh, barbarity of man. It was very effective. And absolutely amazing guitar work. I felt like I haven't said anything about guitar, oh. guitars on this album. Uh, the, the guitarist, um, I believe his, his stage name is Liam Fesson, but he is the one who writes 90% of the music which I read in an interview. <laughs> and I think that the music is, particularly the guitar work, is just absolutely unreal. And the riffs are great. And I love, I've never, I've rarely heard a band do such a, a natural um, amalgamation of different kind of subgenres in a way that's totally fresh and um, unique. Nice. Thank you, 1914. Shall we move on to the realm of fantasy? Yes, let's do it. Talk about Noctule. So now, so before we say anything, so I talked about saying how I'm not very well versed in history and world wars, and I know <laughs> fuck all about Skyrim. Me too, so this review is <laughs> going to be probably quite short. So no, I've done some research <laughs> about some of the things, and, and I bought Skyrim when it first came out. Because no every, way. Yeah, and, and, and played about like 20 minutes of it. Kate would kill you. You know I, I broke Skyrim. You broke it? What, I, in I played, game or? I played Skyrim. I was really excited to play Skyrim. I 
I was playing at a friend's house and I broke the first cutscene of the game because I died between areas Holy and shit. the game just started glitching <laughs> and looping. So you'd start in the wagon and yeah. you'd get to the door and I, I got burned by dragon fire. So I'm like, I just die the moment you're supposed to start the game. <laughs> <laughs> so it just kept defaulting. You oh, just, shit. Like the meme, you just end up in the wagon again. It's like, <laughs> no, it's a hell loop. God. <laughs> Sounds like some David Lynch-esque nightmare. <laughs> it was really in, in upsetting. Fantasy form. And ever since that, I just had no interest at all yeah. in um, Skyrim or Elder no, Scrolls or I, anything. I, the thing is for me is, I, the thing is, it doesn't matter what I say about the game because it's one of the most popular games of all times. But like, when I found out just how much you had to grind to make progress in that game, and like, I am a, the most casual gamer. I'm pretty casual ever. too, yeah. Like, you know, like I'm coming from the era of sega master systems and nes games where you could complete a game in a day and my dad even had a, uh, a commodore 64 and the spectrum oh that's cool zx might have been both or one of them it was a long time ago but i remember him playing them as well and just some of those games were pretty cool but like that is the era of gaming that i kind of come from where mm. you know like this fucking i mean i was into playstation 1 and playstation 2 as well for a bit for certain games but um so it's just i've never been a big gamer that was a very convoluted way to say that I'm not a gamer. <laughs> <laughs> not a gamer. But though, but so this album, Noctual, Wretched Abyss, uh, released this year, mm-hmm. is the solo project by Serena Cherry of the uh, critically acclaimed um, sort of post-metal slash hardcore outfit, Svalbard. Indeed. And um, I've always really wanted to go to Svalbard, the place, because that's one of the best places to see the Northern Lights. Oh, and also because it's in um, Philip Pullman's Northern Lights as well. And I was like, oh, if I see a polar bear, it'd be so cool. I don't know why. Since I was a kid, I wanted to go. Oh, that, that sounds cool. I didn't know it was in. I've not read Northern Lights, so. That's where the bears live. Um, so it's, uh, and this is um, about, well, not, I'd call it a concept album, but the lyrics are uh, almost exclusively about um, the uh, the realm of Skyrim and the world that takes that inhabits that game which is called did you look up the name of the world i've researched it but um, (laughs) i've forgotten it (laughs) so i didn't even do that i i I read that each song is about a different dungeon so (laughs) we're both just like yeah (laughs) let's talk a bit about the music so this is um this is cool because i feel like it's got some elements that are prevalent in svalbard so it's Mm -hmm. got like a lot of kind of a post-metal sort of really like ethereal and um you know like really nice melodic lead work but obviously it's kind of packaged in a way that's much more um rooted in the black metal sphere like i was saying at times it kind of reminds me a bit of like windier and tarker at times as well as well as sometimes even some mid enslaved at certain points i can see why you'd say that some of the guitar work Um, and it's it's the uh, the production's I like the production because the guitars are quite high in the mix and I'm a big guitar person. That's to me when I listen to music, that's always it's all about the riff, man. <laughs> but um, like the leads are just soaring and super melodic through like 99.9% of this album. And, um, and I've, like I said, I've not played much Skyrim, but I would be amazed if this doesn't do a good job in conveying the, uh, the beautiful landscape of the game. I feel, I feel you. I think um, this is like the second Elder Scrolls kind of band that I've encountered. The first one was Moragtong, who are great. We'll have them on the podcast at some point. They're like a Doom version, and they do Morrowind, which I believe is an earlier iteration of the game. Yeah, I think that was pre-Morrowind was before the... Because it was 
Skyrim and then uh, Oblivion, then Morrowind. Yeah. Going, working back. I think so. Yeah. I think so. I, I really don't know. Um, I just, I'm like a Nintendo person, basically. I don't really have enough money to play anything else. Um, so, like, I have free games on my Nintendo and that's it. And my old 64 games, done. Um, but this is cool and it is making me, like, itch to perhaps explore this world at some point. Um, I really like the introduction of the album, with the immediate screaming. I think that's a really cool way to start an album. Um, maybe I'm just saying that because I've done the same thing without the screaming, but I like I like it when it's just like that. And then it's just immediately the guitars just explode in. And the guitars are really unusual to my ears. Maybe I'm just imagining it, but they, they almost sound like 8-bit music. Am I just imagining that? But there's like this weird kind of um, chimey mid kind of thing going on at the, like the top end of the guitar but then like the bottom end is also there and it's really confusing it's like wait is is that is this eight like am i semi hallucinating an eight bit track on top of all this stuff or is there like is this some crazy guitar pedal that i've never heard of so yeah i'm wondering if that maybe that is like subliminally that thought is subliminally like influenced by the fact that you know that the lyrical subject matter is, is a about game? a game yeah but, perhaps perhaps i'm just full but, of shit yeah but no i agree especially for what you said about the um the vocals, and it's cool that we've got two albums that start off an album with a with a with a scream. Yeah, um, and I really like um, Serena's vocals on this album. They're I think um, ten out of ten, Serena. Yeah, it's like I'm a big fan of really intense, frenzied, shrill screams. And there's at times on the album, um, particularly the uh, second track, Labyrinthian, which really reminds me of um, Bethlehem at times. You ever listened oh. to much Bethlehem? They're I'm a, not. They're a German. I wouldn't say black metal. They had their own genre called dark metal. And um, and they have some of the most ridiculously emotional, high pitched screams I've ever heard. Wow! And there's at times where the vocals are a bit reminiscent of that, which I thought was super cool. And I love that sort of and the, even the way they're produced, like they're super like cavernous and kind of in the distance a little bit, like it's blended in quite well. And I think it just works so well with, like I said, this the oh the super melodic and kind of anthemic lead work. I'm just going to correct myself. Every song isn't about a dungeon. Some of them are about dungeons. Some are also about storylines and weapons. Yeah, well, the, I've got it written in my notes that the last two tracks, Unrelenting Force and um, Become Ethereal, uh, actually um, shouts. You can, apparently you can learn shouts in the game, which are a bit like spells, Oh, yeah, you can like kill dragons and stuff with them, right? Yeah, and yeah. these are both named after dragonborn shouts. Oh. And I think uh, Unrelenting Force is the first shout that you learn as a member of the Dragonborn race. You know, there's a martial arts guy in Japan, there's like a karate guy who can kill birds by shouting at them. Really? <laughs> yeah. Jesus. That really tickled Shepard's That's mad. There's like a YouTube video of him like shouting, and it's like, <laughs> wow, it's really loud. It's like, it's a bit scary. If you shouted at me, I'd probably cry. <laughs> that just reminds me of that video of that dude shouting at his cats. It's like, get the fuck down from there. And he's like, that's a classic video. That reminds me of that, that video. There's this cat and this guy's like, hey, moi, there's a weird cat out here. And this is like oh. really ugly cat. He's like, it's so ugly. It looks like grandma. I got some bad news. I think that's fake. No, yeah. the cat looks so weird. Because it's a, that guy's voice in that video is, I think his name is Michael Rappaport, who is like that's a... That's a strange um, name. He is a, uh, he was in some sitcom in like the mid 2000s. Can't remember the name oh, of it. Oh, no. But, I'm so yeah. sad. I love that video. But it's um, but I don't know what cat he was talking about. But apparently, it was not that really ugly cat in Aww. the video. I, I love that I ugly cat. Could be chatting complete shit. 
but that's what I seem to remember. I hope about you're that wrong, video. just because I love that video. <laughs> <laughs> what were we talking about? Shouting. Yeah. Yeah. Is no one going to do the noise? I don't know the noise. Oh, you don't so know that. we've never played Skyrim. I've seen the videos of the scientists like shooting the. Nah, man, I'm a fucking absolute <laughs> noob when it comes to this shit, mate. I know about karate people shouting at birds, but I don't know anything <laughs> about this. I know the arrow and the knee meme, which is from a previous Elder Scrolls game, right? I know the the meme of like the cart at the beginning, and like yeah. you, like there's like a, a YouTube video and it fades. And it's just like the guy in the car. <laughs> <laughs> I but the thing that. is, like, the game is so long and fucking epic. I mean, it's been re-released, what, about 25 fucking times on about it? 25 different consoles. Oh. And like, and I know that there's a lot of like deep lore about this game. Mm. Like, It's got some of the best lore. It's when got it like, comes the cat to... people, the gadget has wares. Oh, yeah, that's that pretty was cute. A, yeah. Yeah, someone, I remember there was some guy who would like, refer to me as a gadget. I'm like, is that just because I'm Asian? Like, why, <laughs> why, am I, why am I a gadget? I don't know. Yeah. I don't, don't know. Yeah. You, they were doing an Asian. In, in the game, they, I think they're supposed to be like... Oh, there you go. Well, okay. Minor racism there. <laughs> we'll let it pass. Um, I did read that Wretched Abyss is a song about Hermaeus Mora, who is the Daedric Prince of Fate. I love the word... Is it Daedric or Daedric? He's a Prince of Fate, Knowledge and Memory in Skyrim, and he often appears in a Lovecraftian form of tentacles in the game. This imagery combined with his unsettling psychological questline is what inspired Serena to write the song. Oh, that's cool. There you go. It's uh, it's actually one of my uh, one of the tracks I enjoyed the most on the album as well. It's um, there's parts of it that really uh, remind me of um, there's a good Japanese band called uh, Intestine Barlism, <laughs> which was covered recently by uh, the podcast I've been enjoying a lot recently called the Heavy Hole Podcast. Nice. Um, and they had um, uh, Phil on from Phil's Metal Breakfast. Shout out to Phil, total legend. <laughs> love that guy love his podcast as well and um they were doing a special on intestine barlism who are like a wow. massively underappreciated melodic death metal band That's cool. from japan but there's so many layers to them there's elements of black metal in them and and they've got some of the they are one of the bands in my opinion that do a really good job of combining um elements of beauty to a guitar lead with also just that hint of sadness Ooh, and nice. i think that um that there's those are there's parts and uh parts of the guitar work on this track in particular that really remind me of like especially this the second intestine barlism album banquet in the darkness and um and yeah i think she's done a really great job of putting everything together she performed everything herself even there's some really cool drum work on some of the tracks i think it's the second track has got some really cool uh cymbal work mm. And just, um, yeah, just the way everything's composed, like as far as solo projects goes. Uh, this is really good stuff for yeah, a solo it's, project. It's good shit. Like, cause, you know, projects, yeah. Because like, you know, so many times if someone's doing a, a solo project or something that's just like a, uh, you know, something just on the side where you, before you focus on your main project, it's normally, you know, you're just fucking about a bit and not really putting too much effort into it. But I feel like this is like an actual... It's release like it sounds a like a proper work. album yeah you know i also i gotta say like you gotta go in about five minutes i believe so just giving you a shout out yeah i've, I've got a time yeah so. <laughs> all right the cover um is like very tolkien-esque is it alan hall the guy who does the art for Tol the old tolkien illustrations is oh alan, alan moore's the um the guy that done v vendetta and he's the that's alan moore isn't it oh i thought you said alan moore who i said alan say? hall I know who you're talking about, but if you said the name, I felt like it might. I click feel like with he's me, got Hall in his name, but that could just be he 
the guy drew loads of halls. I kind of know who you're talking about, but yeah, the it, name is escaping me. It's like, you know, the, the a really old edition of like the Illustrated Silmarillion? Yeah. Is that his name? Am I full of shit? Oh, okay, sorry. Shema's pulling that shit well, up. This album artwork was done by uh, some called Stephen Kingscoat, and I also was quite fond of the album artwork. It was quite cool. Yeah, it's got like a dragon. Alan Lee, fuck's sake. Oh, I got the Alan right. Yeah. He did do a lot of calls, to be fair. <laughs> There's a lot yeah. of holes in his work. I, I know what you mean, though. Like, it's got that same kind of vibe to it. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah, it's really... It's got, like, these two beautiful... I think it's overarching overarching trees and, like, the dragon, like, taking off in the middle and, like, mountains and a lake. It's really, like, high fantasy. I love it. Yeah. And uh, even the name Noctule, the only thing I could find on the name which it might it probably means something in Skyrim as well, but it's actually the name of a really cute brown-skinned bat. Oh! And I'll show you a picture afterwards. It's super, super cute. I love bats so much. They're adorable. I it's love got, It's got them. a really cute, angry-looking face as well. Oh! So. I love flying fox bats. They've got, like, the most adorable faces. And when they pee, it, like... Okay, this is going to sound really weird, but bat genitalia is, like, horrifyingly human. Yeah. It's, like... <laughs> it's genuinely <laughs> disturbing. It's just, like, a <laughs> tiny dick and balls. And they're, like... <laughs> It's really weird. And then when they wee, like, because they're hanging upside down, they, like, kind of upside down themselves so that their wee doesn't go all over their faces. So they, like, kind of do this weird, like, flipping motion yeah. so that they can wee everything. It's really strange. Yeah. If you're ever bored, just go look it up. Yeah, um, yeah. apologies to the FBI agent that monitors my phone when I search <laughs> bat genitalia later on tonight. <laughs> yeah. But uh, going back to the album, <laughs> after that interesting segue, <laughs> uh, there's a track I really like, also called the Even Now, which I believe that is a, um, well, it's also the Dutch word for equator, but mm. it's a word in the dragon language meaning to extinguish something. Nice. And uh, one thing I like that Serena's done on this album is uh, on the um, the title track, Wretched Abyss, it kind of ends with some really nice kind of like celestial sound and clean work which is cool and then this track even our starts with that and then it's kind of very nicely placed at certain points throughout mm. the album so it's not overused but it's done in a way that i think accentuates the overall feel of the album nice. quite well nice i think this is like you know really well curated really obviously thought out piece of work as you say it's like it's not just some casual thing that's been flung off on the side it's like a really well done release and it seems to have done really well on Bandcamp. like two of the vinyls were sold out already um, and like a ton of people have bought it, so yeah. it's like seven ninety nine on Bandcamp. You can go buy it right now, and there's I think some CDs and maybe a vinyl or two that's available. Yeah, and just goes to show, you know, like we were having a work sort of related conversation earlier about how um, how gaming and video games seem to be the new form of media that most people enjoy these days, right? Yeah, and I think this could be a, uh, maybe even a, um, an example of how a gaming world or gaming legendarium could be as explored as say the works of someone like a Tolkien or or dare I say a JK Rowling. Ooh. <laughs> Harry Potter uh, black metal band. There is one. Oh. It's um I think they're called the Muggle Death Party or something. Oh that's like that, so think. fucking lame. And uh, they got an album called The Seven Horcruxes oh. from that, I think. Do they spell it like W H O R E and it's like grindcore or something? I, I think it's like it is like a pretty much a blackened death metal album. I think. Wow. I think I did listen to them once because, but I think the person that's done it is fully aware that this is like a, a gimmicky, Turfy, parody sort of thing. I don't like, think it's like a, a serious thing. I, I should hope it's not serious. But um, it's like there was also um, a brutal death metal slam band came come out maybe like a month or so after COVID 
fully hit the world and cold like COVID-19 and it's like oh um, yeah of course yeah and it was <laughs> oh, I wonder how they're doing oh I mean yeah well it's better than naming your child corona which is what, what some people did what the fuck is up did. with yeah. that like I mean, why would you do that to your child but it's a shame because corona is a nice word because it's like a it solar is. flare it's like a halo yeah yeah that's what a corona is right it's like a halo of light so that word has been ruined ruined zero out of ten do not name your child but uh, the um, the end of this album I really like as well. The last track, Become Ethereal, which is another um, Dragonborn shout learned in the game, uh, which apparently the shout gives you a spectral appearance and you become invulnerable to damage for a while. Spectral? Yeah. Word of the podcast. Yeah, spectral. Spectral law, spectral... Wound. Wound. Spectral whore? Spectral and voice. Spectral voice. Spectral spectre. Spectral dark wave. Shout out to spectral dark wave. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of spectres. But this track's cool because it's an orchestral sort of track, so Ooh. it's it's uh, there's no guitars in it, so it's like a, almost uh, it's quite cinematic and sounds like something you would actually hear in a game. So I don't know if that was the desired effect of that track, but it was quite a nice closer to the album and kind of adds another dimension to the album because, as I said, the majority of this album is just super melodic and soaring guitar work, which is I'm all about that because I I love that sort of shit. So uh, don't bother me. <laughs> That's amazing. But overall, I, it was a good album. And I heavily enjoyed it. It is really cool. Um, I have spent a lot of the time thinking about what game I would want to do, like a side project band on. I think Chips Challenge is going to be my choice. Yeah, what game's that? It's just like a it's a Windows sixty four <laughs> game where you just like run around a maze and trying to oh. find shoes to walk over fire and water and stuff. It's really it's really good. That but sounds I, cool. I'm interested to see how I could like make an over of work about this game. I think what would be the worst game? I say Solitaire. Or, or Minesweeper. <laughs> Spider Solitaire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Minesweeper, yeah. you could probably do some like really interesting like arrangements, like really beautiful, then something like a fucking bomb. Yeah. Yeah. But it's um Pac-Man maybe. That'd be a shit one. <laughs> you could like set up all that horrible gulping sound. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine that just like a, if it was like a slam band, then everything would go quiet, just one China hit and the Pac-Man <laughs> sound before a breakdown hits. <laughs> That'd be sick. If someone does that, I'm coming for you, by the way. <laughs> I want to see that live. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of potential here, I think, for um, interesting, fruitful game bands. I know there's a, a, a war, World of Warcraft um, band called, they're called Level 75 Something Shamans. And they have a song called Never Take a Thief from Behind. I mean, you couldn't think of a better name than Level 75 something, is there not something else in the universe that sounds a bit more... Kind of, I don't know, not played the game. Probably sounds about the gnome paladin. Yeah. Yeah. The game's okay, but... Have you ever seen the interview from... Because the Warcraft movie was directed by David Bowie. It's really good. um, uh, Duncan... Idaho. Jones. (laughs) Jones. Seems Duncan Jones. Who also directed Moon, which is an amazing I love Moon. fucking I film. I forgot about that film. Such a good it's film. It's really good. I had no idea where that film was going. It's got and, Bowie vibes as well, yeah. that film. But um, yeah, so he directed Warcraft and there's a great interview where he's getting interviewed by this dude who is just so kind of like belligerent and like <laughs> kind of on the offensive against him and just trying to get him to admit that this movie that this guy's directed is shit. And he deals with him with such poise and like an elegance and only the way that David Bowie's son can. <laughs> that the other guy gets pissed off and just leaves. <laughs> and he's just like, the That's guy just stands amazing. up and he goes like, oh, okay, fine. And, the, and Duncan Jones <laughs> is just like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's really worth watching if you want to see a really... I've never, ever seen that kind of... Usually it's like the interviewee that work, what works, what walks. <laughs> <laughs> damn, bro. <God> damn. <laughs> <laughs> you 
literally it's the interviewee that walks out. That sounds amazing. And to, I will add, the World of Warcraft movie is legitimately amazing. Oh, I've heard that. It's really good. It's, honest, I, was, I was like, I'll just watch this. I feel like, shit, I don't really care about this film. And I was like, damn, I'm really into this. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and uh, especially when you consider how high the bar for video game movies are, you know, you know Resident <laughs> Evil, Dead or Alive, uh, yeah. attack and film. <laughs> Street Fighter. Who could forget Street Fighter? Yeah. Have you seen Street Fighter? No. Oh my God! It's like the Shem. You must have seen Street Fighter, the movie, right? Yeah, of course. Of course. Classic film. <laughs> the Mortal Kombat's. Oh, um, Raul Julia is amazing. In that. Oh, he's a, that's like the last film he was in before he died as well. Damn. But, what um, a legacy. He, he came up with some one of the best lines in cinema history. So you came here and spe- ex- <laughs> trust me to fuck it up. <laughs> That's not what he said. That's not what he said. He didn't fuck up his lines. He said, you came here expecting to find a madman, but instead you found a god. <laughs> That's amazing. It's super corny. That is very good. I like um, it. One last note I want to say about the album. Um, uh, well, actually, not so much the album, but Serena Cherry in particular, which is a fact that I've always thought was super cool, is her obsession with roller coasters. I knew you were going to say that she's part of what, Coaster Force, I, I think, think it's so. called. That is really cool. I was, like, really surprised by that. But it, she seems really awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, roller, I used to... I mean, it's still a dream of mine to get out to Six Flags one day because... I'm scared of roller coasters. It's got a really good... Meant to be really. Uh, yeah, you said you didn't like it, right? You nearly died. Oh, yeah, she nearly died. Like the, the thing didn't come down, and and a, a similar thing happened to a cousin of mine in Sweden oh, on like a similarly big roller coaster. It was like a famous one at the time, and he almost the G force is the only thing that kept him from falling to his death. Jesus, yeah, intense. Yeah, but um, I was stuck on the Smiler at um, thought, not Thought Park, sorry, Alton Towers once, and it was like thirty degrees heat and we were stuck when it was like on the way up oh. and it was that was horrible and then we got free tickets to go back within like a so, so yeah that because that's exactly yeah, what i feel like doing back. at the moment jesus but, um, christ but i do i do like roller coasters and they have been thin and i actually went on the ride that was quite intense i went to the south end a few weeks ago and they've got this new ride i can't remember what it's called but it's like one of the arm rides that does a full rotation oh. while the thin also spins as well oh. and it was um and i was just looking at it thinking man i i I had fish and chips about an hour ago. Oh my god! And like this may not be a good idea, but it was a surprisingly intense ride. And South End have got some their theme park, whatever it's called, I can't remember. Sorry, <laughs> it's got some surprisingly good rides, and have that you, was one of them. Have you seen the Euthanasia roller coaster? Uh, do you die when you go? <laughs> yeah. So there was, I think it was, I can't remember. It was a European artist, and he designed a roller coaster that's supposed to kill you, but you have fun in the process. It's a really interesting design. So it's like lots of. You go up to like a really high hill and like high, whatever it's called on roller coaster terminology. I'm not, I'm sorry, yeah. I don't know any. Um, but then you go up to this really high point and then you come down on successively smaller loops. And then about like, I think a minute or two in, a few minutes in, you just die. Like, because mm-hmm. the shape, the shape of the roller coaster does something to your brain that just kills you. It's designed to euthanize all of the riders on the so, roller coaster. So basically what you're telling me is this motherfucker downloaded roller coaster tycoon. <laughs> 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 fucked up a ride and found out it was killing his virtual customers and has tried to market it as an actual I think uh, savvy. Like, legit maths and science. Like it's a really cool image. He has, obviously hasn't made it, but it was like a artistic foray into like how can we kill people? It's got like a funny name. I can't remember what it's called, but it's got like a. a... Can, can you imagine if they still took like a picture of you? <laughs> <laughs> at the exact moment that you pass away. So you can give it to your, <laughs> so you loved give it to your ones. family, yeah, yeah. And like mass and emails it. it to like yeah. <laughs> oh my Jesus. God. Yeah. No, I I can think of better ways to go. I mean think of worse ways to go. Definitely. But, but, yeah. It's got them being crushed to death or something like yeah. that. Yeah. I don't know how I, I think I want to go in, in my sleep, obviously. 
I don't know, because like, I don't know, maybe, it's probably, maybe when I'm like 90 or some shit, probably yeah, the best way to go. I mean, yeah. I, that's like a, is that a mode of death being 90? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I just, I don't know how long I'd like to live. I want to, I want to be immortal, basically. I'm pretty, like, Would you upload your consciousness? Yeah. I'd do it. Like, um, I'm into it. I, I'm, I like. I think transhumanism is like completely fucked up and crazy. But I'm selfish enough that I'd want to actually yeah. do it. Because there's an interesting one in it. Because you, because um, obviously your actual soul in essence will be gone, but whatever's uploaded will still think that that's the original version of yourself, right? The Faustian joke is on them. I never had a soul. Oh, but, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, but the, you know, the, there's there are people who genuinely believe that there are immortals walking the earth right now because there's like a guy in Russia, there's Bezos and the other one, Elon Elon Musk. Musk. I almost called him Husk. Um, <laughs> Elon Husk of a man. And, uh, like they're obviously that's why they have. I'm pretty sure they're just amassing money so they can fucking inject themselves with young people's blood and live forever and whatever. Yeah. You know. So not that I want to necessarily do that myself, but I, if I had the option, I probably wouldn't say no if I was like in my 50s or something, you know? Cool. Yeah. Right. Well, there you go. I'm, I'm in uh, open with the dark side of my humanity, so. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Maybe so it's too much to think about, man. But no, nah, I reckon... Um, <laughs> so get lip fillers or just get like young blood injected to my veins. Yeah. It's weird. I don't even know what's going to happen in the next month. I feel like I'm in limbo. So like, fuck knows what's going to happen in 50 years time. I'm pretty sure I'll just be, I'll die soon at some point, probably. Like, I don't see myself living a long time. Yeah, well, we'll try and get Carl Willits on before that happens. I would like that. Um, yeah. That would make me really happy. I want to yeah. get Carl on and, you know, just some people that I like. That'd be really nice. Yeah. Once he's on, I can just, I can just die. It'll be fine. That'd be cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll buy you a ticket for that roller coaster. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Best present ever. Right, so All talking right. about killer roller coasters seems a good way to finish off the uh, the episode. I think so. If you want to find out more about killer roller coasters, feel free to like and subscribe. We'll uh, happily talk more about them if you wish and um, suggest anything you'd like us to cover. Um, any topics, any bands, any albums, any human beings you'd like us to talk about, we will consider doing so. So, uh, yeah, thank you for listening. Have a lovely rest of your day or night. Until next time. <laughs>